Tribe Talk. Tribe Talk is a podcast created to elevate your life through real talk, true stories, and great debates, with some fun sprinkled in. We dive into all things lifestyle, health, and wellness to expand your knowledge and guide you towards living your happiest, healthiest life. I am Sam. And I am Emily. And we are your hosts. Hello, Tribe. Emily here, and I'm with the wonderful Sarah Ordo. She is a self-published author, entrepreneur, makeup artist, mindset and life coach, podcast host, and YouTuber. God, I wasn't sure I was going to get through all those. (laughs) I know, it's a lot of things. (laughs) Uh, She is also a huge advocate for sobriety and empowering other women in their own journey with alcohol. So hello, Sarah. Hello, I'm so excited to be here. (laughs) So excited to have you. Yeah, so I was a bit unsure whether I was going to get through all that in one breath. Um, Nearly nearly failed there, but uh, yeah, tell me um, a little bit about you. Yeah, so I mean, basically everything you said, that's all the things I do. I am like your typical overachiever, Um, but I honestly, I love everything I do. I'm so passionate about everything I do, and definitely my sobriety has been the thing that most people know me for, but it's really kind of opened a lot of doors for me and like opened a lot of new paths for me that I never had any idea I would go down. Um, but yeah, my sobriety has really kind of changed my world in the last almost four years. So it's been really amazing to see. Yeah. It's kind of opened up like a whole new world. You probably never even thought possible when you were kind of drinking. Yeah. Sometimes I think back and I'm like, if I wouldn't have gotten sober, like I would not be doing any of the things I'm doing right now at all. Like yeah. I try to think sometimes like how different my life would be. And it's, mm. it's crazy to think about it. Yeah, I bet. It's a bit like, um, is it sliding doors where they've got a split screen? And like, mm-hmm. if you click one, one direction, it turns into this one direction, it goes into that. Um, yes, absolutely. So it'll be four years next month. Is that correct? Four years in May. Yes. Yeah. So it's crazy. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about your sobriety. Like what made you decide to you know go down the route of not drinking was it a series of events was it one what they call rock bottom or was it just kind of a realization that it it wasn't for you anymore it didn't serve you I had a really unhealthy relationship with alcohol um basically from the time I was like 13 or 14 years old and I think like deep inside, I knew all along that it was a problem and that I should do something about it. But obviously I didn't want to accept that. I was young. I thought I was invincible and it was like, no, this is what everyone's doing. We're just having a good time, you know? Um, so, I mean, there were a lot of red flags I should have seen in my teens and early twenties that for a lot of people on the outside, they probably would have been like, holy shit, like you have an issue. But to me, you know, I was so in denial about it that I didn't see it that way. So what it ultimately took for me to get sober was definitely a rock bottom moment. And I write about it in my first book, Sober as Fuck, that um, I went to a music festival and I always drank to the point that I was blacked out. And I would never pass out though. Like I was a full functioning blackout. So I would just keep going. And once I got to that point, 
like my inhibitions were gone. I would do things that I would never do sober. And what happened on that particular night was I ended up taking a handful of pills from someone that I didn't know, um, gave him a wad of cash. God knows how much, apparently. I, I don't remember any of it, but this is just what everyone's told me that was with me. Um, but yeah, I took a lethal combination of ketamine, ecstasy, MDMA, God knows what else. Um, and then I had such a high blood alcohol level that especially like ketamine is a crazy intense sedative. Like it puts you into a thing called a K hole. If anyone's familiar, they might know, but it's, it's essentially used in like animal tranquilizers. So it like knocks you on your ass. So I collapsed on the cement in the middle of this festival in Detroit. And I was taken to the emergency room by ambulance and almost didn't make it. Essentially, I had such a toxic combination of drugs in my system on top of the alcohol that the doctors told me my body was just like completely shutting down. And I almost went into cardiac arrest. I had to be monitored on all these things for hours and my levels were crazy and out of control. And the doctors just essentially told me, they were like, your body was shutting down and we're not sure like how you pulled through this, but somehow you did. And so from that day forward, that was the last time I've ever had a drop of alcohol in my life was that Mm -hmm. night because I left and it was not only enough to scare me that I could have not walked out of the hospital alive, but what really hit me really hard, I think that time was seeing the people around me that cared about me and, you know, trying to call me, trying to get a hold of the hospital to find out if I was alive, my mother, and they wouldn't tell her over the phone, you know, hearing my mother panicking because the hospital wouldn't release any information and she thought I could be dead. That was the worst feeling in the world. And having to, I remember I sat down the next day and I, you know, I was at my mom's house and my mom was, you know, so upset. And I remember having to sit down and basically like call people and message people and send out apologies basically being like, I'm sorry I put you in this situation. I'm sorry that I had you go through this and realizing like how fucked up that was. Mm -hmm. And that was the worst feeling in the world, sitting there and having to apologize for people that were, that thought you were dead and were Mm -hmm. trying to figure out if you were okay. Yeah. It's just, yeah, I can't imagine it. It must've been so terrifying, but also it must've been quite a glaring way of opening your eyes as well you know obviously when you when you drink you you no longer really have those inhibitions and everything just seems like it doesn't matter it doesn't matter and then to go from that state of oh nothing matters I'm having fun this is what I'm like this is what life is like this is what everyone's doing to completely switching in the space of 24 hours and realizing wait no this isn't this isn't like that's a big step that's a big realization isn't it it was yeah it was and in the beginning I was very naive about it I was very like okay I'm just gonna stop drinking and I don't think it even fully like sunk in yet the extent of what had happened like I just knew I had to do something I knew this was too much this time and but yeah it was crazy because I remember like the first few like the first week or so after I remember telling someone like I was going to go out with my friends still, but just not drink. And they were like, Sarah, like, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. And, you know, like, I don't think I had fully comprehended like how much my life was going to change yet. Like I thought I was just going to keep living 
my life and just, okay, I just won't drink though. And so it, it definitely took a little more time to fully sink in. Um, but I'm a pretty stubborn, hard-headed person. So when I made that decision that next day, like I knew I was going to stick to it because I wasn't going to give myself an option to do that again. Mm. So how old were you at that point? I was 25. 25. So that's quite young, really. I mean, where what's the the legal age the legal drinking age where you 21 that's 21 (laughs) yeah yeah so you I guess most of your friends are all kind of in the prime age of going out and drinking and that must have been quite a hard situation to adapt to it was um and I had my like close circle of friends at the time um that's basically all we did Mm. So it became very strange because I lost a lot of friendships. I realized who was really my friend and who was just kind of around for a good time. And it was very eye-opening, but it it was difficult because I was so used to going out and partying. And it seemed so normal to me that when I stopped, I felt like I had no idea who I was anymore. And I felt like I had no idea what to do because it was so different and it was so abrupt and such a big change from what I was used to. Mm. So I completely can resonate with that in terms of like not knowing who, who you were anymore, because I found when I was coming out of my illness, I was exactly the same. Mm -hmm. Um, And it, it, there was a lot of kind of getting to know yourself again. Mm -hmm. So what do you think were the best things that you found that helped you to kind of meet yourself and rediscover who lay underneath all of, all of that. I had to get really comfortable being alone and being by myself, which I had always been extremely uncomfortable with. It was always something I didn't like it. I would, if I wasn't busy and I didn't have plans, like I would find something to go do with someone or I would go like call one of my friends, like, well, let's go out for dinner and get margaritas. I just, I hated sitting alone. And I noticed it a lot when I stopped drinking because I had to get really comfortable being by myself and getting familiar with myself and being comfortable with myself and loving myself again, because I hadn't done that in so long. You know what I mean? Like I was just the party girl. Like I didn't really know who I was anymore. So I think definitely like rediscovering myself, getting okay, being alone. And a big part of that for me was actually not turning to men and dating because there was a time period when I first got sober that I was so reliant on like meeting someone and having someone that cared about me just to have something constant in my life and with me that I was getting involved in relationships that were very unhealthy, very toxic. I was getting cheated on, lied to. And I basically like had lost all self-respect and I just, I was taking anything I could get just to have a man there that showed attention and that he wanted me and loved me. I mean, obviously not love with quotation marks if they're cheating and stuff, but I I had to feel that desire and that attention and that want to try to like comfort myself when I was so uncomfortable being alone. Mm. So that was something I had a really hard time with was I had to like be single and stop trying to find men to occupy the holes in myself at that point. Mm. I think so many people do that, men and women because you see so many people kind of, they're almost like serial daters. They'll be with someone for three years and then they'll break up with them and then they'll be alone for a month and then they'll meet someone else and be with them for another two years. And they never really, 
identify with with who they are, what they actually like. It's like um oh what's that film with Ju- is it Julia Roberts and they the guy always asks her how she likes her ex. Oh, Runaway Bride. Yes. It's like yes. Runaway Bride, isn't it? And yep. you kind of adapt to that relationship and yeah. there's always going to be like changes and some you, you relationships always naturally shape you but mm-hmm. going in there knowing who you are what you like what you stand for what your morals are and knowing that you don't need anybody else to fill you up is mm-hmm. so important isn't it I completely agree yeah I I can see now looking back that until I did the self-work you know figured my shit out got comfortable in my sobriety took care of myself again like I was never going to be in a healthy relationship with someone else and I was trying so hard during that time, just out of loneliness and kind of like desperation. But now I see looking back that until I was okay alone and had figured all my stuff out and gotten myself to a good place by myself, that I was never going to be okay with every, with anyone else. And I think that is something a lot of people struggle with because they, they don't, I mean, people don't like to be lonely. They don't want to be alone. You know, they want to meet someone. So it's really hard for people, I think, to do that because it, it's a process, like learning who you are and getting comfortable and doing all that self-work. And it's not always fun and it's not always quick and easy. And so I think a lot of people just try to rely on somebody else to fill in those parts instead. Mm. I think it's quite, I was thinking about this the other day as well. I think it can be quite difficult as well, especially with kind of the surge in social media. Um, so we're kind of a, of a similar age. And um, I was re- I was one of those people at school and I, I was surrounded by friends. I always had people around. I was always out with um, friends and never really liked being at home. And then when I left school, I went traveling briefly. But when I came back, everybody had kind of gone their separate ways and you're either really heavily reliant on social media mm-hmm. which still wasn't you know the way it was now as it was back then but you don't get that automatic kind of connection with social media so I found that it's quite difficult moving from your teens or from school or college or university whatever it is into what you could quote Mark say the real world can be Mm -hmm. quite confronting it can be quite hard to kind of deal with especially with somebody who doesn't really like being alone right yeah and it's my one of my big things was uh like all the dating apps now oh my gosh like I abuse dating apps (laughs) no end like I was on all of them and but yeah I was constantly a lot, like if I was alone, it was like, oh, I'll just go on Tinder and yeah, you know, like trying to occupy my time and like find someone to give me attention. So, mm. and it, I think it is dangerous because we become so reliant on that. And like a lot of the people I met on dating apps were not good people, and you know, we're just in it for like that instant gratification mm. where they didn't really have to meet someone and have a connection with them, but they could kind of waste their time talking to people on the internet and looking at their photos. And it, yeah. it's weird because you lose that personal connection there. Yeah, hundred percent. There is definitely some like, I mean, I, I so I only went on Tinder, mm-hmm. um, but I went on some God awful Tinder dates. I can tell oh, you. Oh, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there was one guy and honestly we met up and he just talked about poo for about 20 minutes I was like, this is not 
really not a good first date <laughs> no and then I kind of ended it and I was like okay well I'll uh I'll I'll talk to you some other time and he literally lunged at me to try and kiss me and I was like whoa I don't want to do that yeah people yeah there's and it's so funny because I actually met my fiance on tinder so I tried I met my husband on tinder (laughs) so I try not to bash it too much because I'm like yeah I met a lot of really shitty people and a lot of really bad experiences but then on the other hand I met him so it's like there are good people on there. You just have to find them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I completely agree. That's how I met my husband. So I, I'm, I'm a Tinderella. Yes, I'm, I'm going to be a Tinderella soon. So <laughs> how long until you're married? Um, well, we have been together for almost two years. Our wedding is, we're doing a destination wedding. So we're getting married in Mexico at the beginning of next year in January. Amazing. Yeah, we're excited. Have you got everything sorted? Pretty much. Like we just, I I bought my dress. I ordered my invitations and everything. We booked our uh, room and our flights and everything the other day. So it's starting to come together now. Oh, you're going to have so much fun. I know. I'm so excited. (laughs) It's going to be so fun. So is your partner sober? Does he drink? How, how is that? How did he find that? Or how did you find dating somebody as a Mm -hmm. newly sober person? So, um, Andrew is not sober and I was already sober when I met him. So I've always had, and, and I understand this wouldn't work for everyone. Um, I think it's kind of individual to each person and where they are at in their sobriety. But for me, I always went into it with the mindset of this is my choice. This is something I need to do. And at the same time though, I never want to judge other people for drinking and I never want to hold it against someone or I never want someone to feel like, they can't drink because I'm there because it, you know, it's my decision, not theirs and they don't need to do what I'm doing. So I've always been very upfront with him about it. And he definitely, he doesn't drink at home. He doesn't drink when it's just the two of us. He's very respectful of that. But at the same time, you know, he's a guy, like he likes to go watch sports and have beer with his friends. And so we've had to, I mean, there's a few times it's gone badly where I think we weren't just communicating enough about it where I had to be very clear with him about what my boundaries were and what I was and wasn't comfortable with. So for example, I, I would be like, please come home before this time. You know, obviously please don't drink to the point that you shouldn't be driving. But I was always like, you know, like if you're respectful of my boundaries and we can compromise on this, so we're all comfortable, like it won't be a problem. But you know, while we were figuring that out, there were many times that I would be we'd be fighting and I'd be crying at two in the morning because, you know, I didn't want to be the girlfriend that was like, you can't go out because I'm sober. And so mm-hmm. we had to like find a common ground with that and navigate it. But honestly, we do it very well now. And we know just from communicating and setting those boundaries, like what's going to work and what doesn't. But, um, when I was, so when I was dating in my sobriety though, I, I dated people that were sober and not sober And it was really unique to do both because each one kind of had its own pros and cons. There were things about dating someone else that was sober that were great because we had common, you know, interests and goals and we didn't want to go out and drink. And so we found other things to do. Uh, But it also came up with a lot of things that made it difficult too, because, you know, when you're at two different points in sobriety and, you know, maybe someone needs to dedicate a lot of time to their sobriety and can't dedicate so much time to you. Like there's a lot of weird obstacles and hurdles to get through because everybody's got their own issues they're dealing with. And 
And I found that if I was like one in particular, I dated that was earlier on in sobriety, like there was a lot of issues he was still figuring out with himself and it made it hard for us to kind of like grow and move forward as a couple at all. Um, but then again, you know, I dated people that weren't sober that were very respectful of my sobriety and it wasn't a problem at all. So I mean, I met some people that would get drunk on the first date. Like it just, I, I experienced all of it and it was very interesting to see all the different ways it could work. It's always a bit like a human experiment, isn't it? Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Like being able to be a kind of clear headed party to view all the different aspects of dating yeah. and pros and cons. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you're, you're sober and you're seeing everything yeah. <laughs> where before, you know, if I had gone on dates and I'd had a few drinks, you know, you're kind of bubbly and you're kind of buzzed and you're not thinking as clear. And so it was really interesting to date sober. Cause it was like, I felt like I had more power. I had more control, and, but honestly it, it was very eye opening to like, okay, I don't want this. I want that. No, mm. you're not going to work. Like I was very clear on it. Yeah. That's, I think that's probably as well why you and your fiance are so you know you you've worked and you've worked through any kind of uh boundary issues because you went into the relationship knowing exactly you know where your boundaries were and and you know what you were going to take and what you weren't whereas perhaps if you'd met him earlier on it might have been a bit more difficult to be able to to yeah no I agree yeah because I think if I wasn't as comfortable in my sobriety as I am now it probably would have been really difficult Mm. So how did you go from kind of, you know, your sobriety to writing this book and self-publishing and like, tell me about that journey. How did that come about? So I have a, I have, I had my YouTube channel for years and it honestly started out as like, I would do like beauty videos and stuff because I am a licensed makeup artist and I do makeup for weddings and stuff. So I always was doing beauty videos on YouTube and I, and it's funny cause you can find them all on my website and you can watch them in order, but I kind of like spur of the moment made a video one day, just sitting on the floor in my apartment at the time, um, when I was 30 days sober and just talking about it and like, okay, this is what I'm doing. And I started making those videos for every like milestone in my sobriety. And I also had a blog too, but I just found the YouTube videos people really connected with more and people found them and contacted me like, oh my God, my story's just like yours. Like this gave me so much hope. And so it was really cool to see people like start responding to that. And I just, I kept feeling like I should have done something more than just make these videos, but it was like, okay, I don't know what to do. Like, what do I do? I'm a makeup artist. Like, what do I do? So I um, actually had a dream one day And in the dream, I picked up a book that was on the floor and I started like flipping through the pages and it was pictures of me in this book. And I was like drunk on all these pictures. And like, they were pictures of like me in the past. And then I started like looking at the book more and I realized that like, it was my story. It was like my words in the book. And so I literally, I'm all about getting like signs from the universe and dreams and things like that. So I literally woke up and I was like, so I guess I should write a book. Like, <laughs> is this what I'm doing now? And I remember I went to therapy and I told her about it and she was extremely supportive. And she was like, honestly, she was like, just start writing. And she was like, you know, treat it almost like journaling. It could be very therapeutic for you to just 
get it all out and, you know, express it in a different way than, you know, you're already doing in therapy and write it down. And so I'm, I mean, I'm very go-getter too. Like when I have a dream and an idea, like I'm going to do it, I'm going to figure out a way. Mm. And so everybody was just like, Oh, you're going to write a book. I don't think they really think it was going to (laughs) happen. And I, I figured it out though. I I went on the internet, I figured out a self-publish and I mean, it was, it was hard the first time, but I figured it out and I made it happen. And then after that first book, I mean, it's definitely not my best written book. I'll be honest and say that because I had never written anything that long in my life. I'd only written like college papers. And so it was crazy because I remember having a couple people that knew me personally say like, wow, like we didn't, like, I didn't know you could write like that. Like, where'd you learn how to write like that? Like, it was really good. And I was just like, holy shit, was it really? Like, I think I was still a little like taken aback, like, oh, okay. And so after that, I just, I started seeing such a positive response and such positive feedback, especially from people that were also sober that would buy the book on Amazon and then find me and contact me about it that I just knew I had to do more. And so that's how I started self-publishing the rest of my books and just kept going. And it's, it's been probably the coolest thing I've ever done in my life because it's, it's so cool. Like it is the most awesome feeling in the world to have someone randomly find me, like show up in a message in Facebook or send me a DM and just out of nowhere be like, Oh my God, I found your book on Amazon and I read it. And now I'm following you and all this stuff. And Oh my God, you're almost four years sober now. That's so cool. Cause I wrote it I released that book when I was two years sober. So it's, it's really, it's the coolest feeling in the world when people find it and then find me Mm. because it really makes me realize like, it's not just my friends and family buying it to be nice. Like it's gone so far beyond that now. And it's reached so many people now that it's mind boggling sometimes. Mm. Yeah. And being able to kind of touch that many people is just like amazing really, isn't it? Yeah. It's insane. It's, it's the coolest thing. Like I said, it's the coolest thing I think I've ever done in my life. So have you, so you talking, um, we were talking a little bit earlier about, um, kind of creating the book and things like that and how weirdly, I wouldn't say easy, but it's easier than I thought it would be to self-publish a book on Amazon. Um, and so you've got, is it five you've got now? I've got five, three are books. I have a workbook and I have a planner slash workbook. And then your most recent book is called 30 as fuck. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that's my, my newest baby. <laughs> I, when I first found you, I was like, I think this person likes to say fuck more than yeah, I do. I, do. <laughs> I, I love that word. <laughs> Same. I know a lot of people are very weird about it, but I love it. I love swearing. That's just me. <laughs> swearing is a great release. It is. Yeah. We had um we had a um we we play a game called health hacks or just crap on the on the podcast sometimes. And there was one that said um like swearing when you've hurt yourself helps it to not hurt as much. Mm-hmm. And that was actually a hack. That's true. Huh, that's interesting. Good so, to know. <laughs> you ever stub your toe, swear really loudly and you'll be good. Good. I'll have to do that. <laughs> Just gives you more excuses to swear. It does. It gives me more of a reason to swear. <laughs> um, so yeah, tell me a bit about um, 30 as fuck then. 
So 30th Fuck is different from anything else that I've written. I had so many things that were like serious and really deep. And a lot of it was all sobriety that I wanted to do something different for that book. And I really wanted to do something that was more like funny and fun, but also like inspirational and empowering. Because when I started my podcast, I realized that I had a lot more to say than just things about sobriety. And I realized I had like a whole other like side of me to share with people that didn't just, you know, revolve around the fact that I was sober. So when I wrote, um, 30 as fuck, I created it as 30 things I learned during my quarter life crisis. And, you know, they're all 30 things are, I think can apply to anyone at any age, really, you don't need to be 30. Um, but it's basically like the life lessons I learned, funny realizations, funny stories, and just things that all women can relate to as they're aging and going throughout life. But it was honestly like the most fun book I've written so far. And I find it's connected with so many people just because you don't necessarily have to be sober to enjoy it. Like I do talk about my sobriety a bit in the book, but I focus about a lot of things that a lot of women can relate to as well. Mm. you're kind of you're expanding away from just that you know stereo not stereotype but that that one individual element of your personality you're now like growing it out and kind of blossoming further yeah and that's something I've always really wanted to do because I've always thought like people have a very narrow stereotyped picture of someone that's sober And they see them as like weak and sick and damaged and, you know, like having to heal and having to be healthy again. And I've always really wanted to make sure that as I share so much about my sobriety, I wanted to put out a new picture for women that are sober, that they can be fun and they can be successful and they can be all these other things too while being sober. You know, their sobriety doesn't have to be the only thing that defines them. And so I really enjoyed doing this book because I felt like I was showing like myself in a whole new light, like even on the cover, like I'm laughing and I have a dress on and balloons. I'm smashing a cake. Like it's, it's a whole nother sign of like, okay, look at this sober person, but she's also like having fun, chasing her dreams, enjoying her life and doing all the things she wants to do too. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's the whole point of life really, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly what we're here for. And we, um, we just, sometimes seem to get in our own way a little bit Mm -hmm. yeah I agree one thing when I was doing my research and you actually mentioned uh when I put your name into google it as so I googled I started Sarah Ordo and then suddenly catfish oh god (laughs) what actually like I started reading this like massive article I was like no way yeah I was I know it's so funny because like 90% of people that follow me don't know about it I don't think but oh my um, gosh so here's the scoop everyone yeah so I was on an episode of catfish on MTV a couple years ago (laughs) where someone actually stole my photos and was pretending to be me and was using I think the name was Kendra Shea was her name um but yeah, she was uh, someone that lived, I want to say she lived in like Iowa or something. And she was using my photos and someone else's at the same time and was catfishing people. But yeah, I was on an episode of Catfish on MTV. And I actually ended up meeting the guy um, after the fact. And he's super nice. Like we kind of <laughs> became 
friends. I went to, he was living in New York and I went to New York to do um, a makeup class. And I actually ended up staying at his um, house that he had with a couple of roommates. No way. So we actually ended up like hanging out. I mean, nothing happened. We were just strictly friends, but no, he's great. He's hilarious. Um, and I actually connected with the other girl whose photos she was using just through social media, who he also met and became friends with. So like, we all know each other now. It's so funny. So it was a great little. Yeah, it was just, it was crazy. They can't, it's, it's funny though, because everyone's like, I can't find the episode. Like, where's the episode? And from what I have been informed, they cannot air that specific episode anymore. Um, from what I was told, there was some mental health concerns for the individual where she got some kind of legal thing in place where they can't air it anymore because she was a danger to herself um, because of it, which I know is very sad and unfortunate, but I'm kind of glad no one can see it anymore because it was, it was kind of creepy. Like I I didn't know they were going to put my full name in the episode. Like I thought they were just going to say like Sarah. And when they said my full name on TV, like my phone was blowing up nonstop for like two days straight. And it was, it was crazy. And it was very overwhelming because people like, I had no idea who these people were, were trying to like call me on Skype because they found my name. And it was like all these like older men, like, so it kind of creeped me out a little bit because I was like, okay, like, this is really weird. I don't know who these people are. They have my name now. They're trying to find me. So it was very crazy, but thank God they can't show the episode anymore. So that can't happen because it was a little weird. What year was this? Oh my God. That had to have been, I was still living with my brother. So it had to have been like 23, 24. 23. Maybe, no, I was probably 24. So it was, I mean, it was at least six years ago. Six years ago. So that would have been what, 20, like 20. 2000 and would that be 2000 and something my oh my gosh you can tell that my math is just as good as my time knowledge in terms (laughs) (laughs) yeah it was a while ago (laughs) so it was before was it before like Instagram and stuff you know what I don't know if Instagram you know I think there was Instagram already I think there was because there was definitely YouTube because I remember people finding my YouTube channel and I think there was Instagram already because I remember getting, yeah, I think I remember getting a bunch of followers on Instagram when it happened. Did you get any like dick pics in your DMs? Uh, not necessarily. <laughs> I mean, like, I'm sure I got some, or maybe people that were trying to. I ignored a lot of it just because it was kind of creeping me out, to be honest, because it was oh. so many like, middle aged men. It was kind of weird. Um, but yeah, it, it was crazy. It was really crazy. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I couldn't imagine that. I know. I always forget that comes up when people Google my name. (laughs) I always forget about it. And then when people bring it up, I'm like, oh God. (laughs) There must be a way you can get it off Google somehow. I'm sure there's a way somewhere. Maybe if we got every single person to Google, I don't know, Sarah Auto 30 as fuck or something, there'll be enough people that it will just go up the ranks. Right, it'll just let's do that. Let's get everyone to do it. If you're listening, go to Google, type in Sarah's name, then type in her book name, and just do it over and over and over again. We'll just boost that back up. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. So, do you still do kind of makeup stuff or 
I do. Yeah. I actually, my, um, I still, I own and run 24 Lux hair and makeup and I'm the lead makeup artist. So I actually do makeup like every weekend. Oh, wow. I do weddings primarily. So obviously through like spring to fall, we're booked pretty solid, but that's actually like my prime business and career is my makeup career. Um, which is so funny because a lot of people don't know that when they initially find me. Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm working this year a lot to tie it into my social media a lot more because I, I realized for a while, I was like, wow, that's a whole other part of me that maybe doesn't correspond as much with my books and all that stuff, but it is another facet of who I am and what I do. Um, so I'm, I'm working on including it a little bit more in the things I share. So people, you know, also see that I'm doing that too. Mm. I literally can't stop staring at your eyelashes. Oh, are uh, they so good? Oh my God. <laughs> I'm a really good lash girl. I found like a really good lash girl here. I feel like a squinty panda right now. I'm just like <laughs> tiny eyes. You guys are lucky that you're just going to hear the audio of this. <laughs> Good because honestly, it makes me feel better about the fact that, like, when I do podcast interviews, a lot of the times I'm like in my pajamas and I don't have makeup on <laughs> because the lashes make me look way more pulled together. <laughs> a good lash can just—I I know the feeling. Oh yeah. But when I got married, I had my lashes done and I just kept getting them redone and redone and redone. Yes. And I was just like, yeah, I can go out and teach my set, my lessons without any makeup on because I've got my lashes on. Like, yeah, they're a game changer. They are an absolute game changer, 100%. Yes. That was a very girly subject for me to go on to. Normally, I'm <laughs> completely lowering the tone in some way or another, so. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, I think... I think that was quite pretty much all my questions. We've sped through that. Is there yeah. anything um, you want to kind of talk about or share with our listeners? Um, I mean, nothing specific. I'm working on a lot of things right now. Um, so I'm going to have a lot of new things coming out this summer slash fall, which I'm excited about. Very excited about. Yeah, <laughs> books, workshops, all kinds of fun stuff. You should come over to the UK and do some work. I would love, here. I would love to come to the UK. I literally try to convince Andrew all the time that we should go to London all the time. You should Sometimes I'll look up the flights and I'll just send them to him. <laughs> like a little hint, like we should go here. <laughs> Let's go to London. <laughs> I do that at the moment to my husband, but with puppies, I'm like, look at this one. <laughs> I do that a lot too. Yeah. yeah. Just, <laughs> haven't you got, just got a new dog with one eye? Yes. We just got, um, so yeah, we, okay. So we had Kaya, I had a long hair chihuahua. She was seven and a half and we had to put her to sleep, um, in February. Uh, she had liver failure, so it was sad, but it went as good as it could have went. It was quick. She didn't suffer. Um, so it was, it was really hard. I was very upset and we had just gotten Abilene as a rescue back in November. So we already had Abilene and the morning after we lost Kaya, I literally went online and was just searching dogs to kind of make myself feel better. And <laughs> I saw Dolly with her one eye and I was like, Oh my God, like I need this dog. <laughs> So we got her, we've had her for a few weeks now. And yeah, she only has one eye. She was attacked by a bigger dog and, um, it ruptured and popped out of her head. Uh, so they had to remove it and she was in a home with a lot of bigger dogs and I don't think they were taking care of her really. So the rescue 
got her and took her out of there. And then we got her from the rescue after she had all her surgeries and was fully healed and everything. But yeah, so we have, we have the two rescues now and they're like best friends. They're so cute together. Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah. So sweet. Yeah. I'm, I'm determined to get a dog. This. Oh, I would get another one. I would totally have three. I love dogs so much. I really do. (laughs) My sister's got two um, dogs from Romania. Oh, cool. like rescue dogs and mm-hmm. they are they are so cute I love yeah. the names for your dogs though they're really they sound really like don't know like classy and, and like mysterious if, if you're in England your dog would just be called like Dave or like yeah. I, uh, well it's funny because we Abilene came from Texas and we wanted to give her like we were trying to find a name that we could like relate to something with her and so we literally just started like googling things about Texas and we were just looking up different things and like one of them like one of the other ones we were thinking about was Dallas but I told Andrew I was like I feel like Dallas sounds like a stripper's name I don't know if I want to call her Dallas (laughs) so Abilene is actually a city in Texas so that was why we named her Abilene and then Dolly's name was actually Della was what the rescue was calling her um they didn't know what her name was before that and so we were trying to think of something Similar, like we weren't sure. We were trying to find something about like one eye, but everything was kind of mean, like Cyclops. And I was like, we're not calling her. I was like, we can't call her Cyclops. So we literally just started looking up names and we're looking up like because Abilene's like a southern name. So we started looking up other southern names. And so we actually named her after Dolly Parton. And that was how that happened. So we have Kathleen and Dolly now. <laughs> just having like an image of this, of this thing like Cyclops, Cyclops. Right? <laughs> I know with this cute little one. I was like, that's almost mean. I can't do that. <laughs> I did say if she would have been a boy, I told the Andrew, I was like, we totally could have called her Uno, like one. Yeah. Since she only had one eye. <laughs> I was like, we could have done Uno if it was a boy, but not for a girl. <laughs> Oh dear. See, I probably would have called it like Mike or something. Like, you know, the monster yeah. monsters inc. With yeah, the one eye. With the one eye. Yeah. Like, we even looked up characters from like Pirates of the Caribbean. Like we were <laughs> looking up everything. <laughs> Nothing was working though. So we that's how we figured it out. <laughs> oh, that is that is absolutely brilliant. <laughs> uh, I really want to call our dog Pat. Yeah. So it'd be Pat the dog. But Alan's Alan's vetoed it. So I don't know. I might secretly call it Pat. I'll be like, Pat, come on. It could just be his nickname. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh dear. Oh well, that made me giggle. Yeah. Um so yeah, tell our listeners where they can find you. Um, give us all your kind of links and stuff we'll pop them in the show notes as well but if you just let them know too yeah so um my website is sarahordo.com I have links to basically everything on there um but my podcast is called her best fucking life that's on iTunes and Stitcher my books are all on Amazon and Kindle and I think most of them are on barnesandnoble.com now as well um hoping to start getting them on audible this year I'm working on that and my YouTube channel is under my name. My Instagram is under my name. So y'all can just find me everywhere. Many, many places to find her. So, yes. Yeah. 
Definitely go because you'll get to see that lovely little dog with one the one-eyed dog <laughs> that is not called Cyclops. But also, no. yeah, Sarah's just one of those people that if you have her on your Instagram feed, it's just like light and brightness, and you can't you can't have. Uh, see one of her posts without smiling so go over uh, thank, thank you I appreciate that <laughs> so yeah um, that's us for today and we will see you again next week okay see you guys later. thank you bye. bye if you love being part of the tribe make sure you subscribe to our podcast and leave a comment or leave a five star review and we will be back for you next week for more Tribe Talk.